Chapter Six of Nurse and Spy in the Union Army by Sarah Emma E. Edmonds. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Six. On to Richmond once more resounded through the camp, and the army was again in motion. The Yorktown Road is one long to be remembered, especially by those who that day had to toil through its mud and mire, or by making a misstep fall into one of the yawning chasms from which some unfortunate mule had been drawn. The rain had continued almost all the time we were encamped at Hampton, quote, saturating the clayey soil, which soon became a vast bed of mortar under the military trains, end quote. The distance from Hampton to Yorktown is about twenty-three miles, and it required all the determination and energy of veterans to march half that distance in a day. With two days' rations in their haversacks, the men marched until they arrived in front of Yorktown, where they bivouacked on the ground, over which the water was running like a flood. We remained three days in that condition, and it was the first time I ever saw anything like scarcity of food in the army. It was scarce indeed, for we were only supplied with two days' rations on starting from Hampton. The fifth day had arrived, but no provisions had yet appeared, and it seemed morally impossible to get a supply train over the road. Mile after mile of corduroy bridge had to be made before a team dare venture to approach. Our horses, too, were as badly off for forage as the men were for provisions. In the fifth day, with several others, I received permission to go out and buy what we could at the houses anywhere within three miles of our encampment. After procuring a quantity of biscuit, pies, and cornbread, we returned to camp, and were quite surprised to find the boys engaged in cutting up and cooking fresh steak. We thought, of course, our provisions had arrived, but found it was only a little dash they had made upon the chivalry's cattle, appropriating them to their own use, with a sort of earnestness which seemed to say, I firmly believe in the old proverb, Aide toi, et le ciel taidera. Oh, what a place the army is for the study of human nature! As I looked around upon the mass of busy men, I thought I could discover almost every trait in the human character depicted upon their countenances. There was the selfish man, only intent upon serving himself, and fearing there would not enough come to his share to satisfy his wants. Then there was old churlish Nabal away by himself building a fire for his own especial benefit, and which no man dare approach unto, no, not within baking, broiling, or roasting distance, not even to get a coal to kindle one for himself but that class of character, thank heaven, was a very small minority. There, too, was the cheerful, happy man, who had been several hours engaged in cutting up and serving out to others, and had no lot or part in the broiled steaks which were smoking around him, yet he looked as good-natured as if he had dined on roast beef and plum pudding. Then there was another phase of character, one who always made it the first duty, under all circumstances, to look after those who were not able to look after themselves. While the little trials of camp life have a tendency to harden and sour the dispositions of some, they seem to bring to light and develop the cheerful, happy, unselfish spirit of others. One has truthfully said that, quote, 
there is no other quality so diffusive of joy both to him who possesses it and to those with whom he has friendly intercourse as cheerfulness it is the phase of a soul sitting in its own sunshine there are luminous planets which are viewed by the aid of their own light others there are which are seen through borrowed light so it is with individuals there seem to be some who have scarcely any light of their own and who shine by the reflection of the light of others while others there are who possess an intrinsic and inexhaustible source of sunshine which renders them not only self-illuminating but capable of irradiating those around them many are cheerful when a sparkling rill of pleasure is gurgling in their hearts or when prosperity encircles them or looms up gorgeously in their prospective vision but few are cheerful when adversity casts its gloomy shadows around them when sorrow and disappointment dry up their foundations of pleasure and wither their hopes in such crises cheerfulness is an independent virtue and in others an accidental mood the despondency of the few was soon removed and the patience and cheerfulness of the many rewarded by the arrival of the provision and baggage trains we then exchanged our camp for one in a more pleasant locality where there was more wood and not quite so much water which added much to the comfort of the troops the enemy soon found out our position and did not fail to inform us of the fact by frequently saluting us with an immense shell or thirty-two pound cannon-ball which would burst over our heads or fall within a few rods often within a few feet of our tents we remained in that camp just one month and notwithstanding the enemy shelled us night and day i never saw a man or beast injured by shot or shell in camp while we remained there i presume many of my readers will remember seeing or hearing of the old sawmill which stood near a peach orchard and which the soldiers persisted in running to the great annoyance of the rebels that old sawmill deserves to be immortalized in song as well as in history and if it stood in any other than a christian land it would undoubtedly become an object of idolatry there it stood in perfect range of the enemy's batteries a target at which they never seemed tired of firing while our brave soldiers risked their lives in sawing lumber for the purpose of laying board floors in the hospital tents to secure some degree of comfort for their poor sick comrades time after time the mill was set on fire by the explosion of shells as they passed through it but up would go some brave young hero and stand in the very jaws of death while his companions would hand him bucket after bucket of water to quench the flames as soon as the fire was extinguished the men resumed their labor and the old mill steamed away with all its might as if proud of the stars and stripes which waved from its summit and of being permitted to show its patriotism and zeal for the glorious cause of freedom by working for good old uncle sam and his noble sons then it would give vent to its pent-up wrath in hisses and shrieks bidding proud defiance to jeff davis and his minions who were trying in vain to stop its humane and patriotic efforts for more than three weeks those brave men kept the steam up in that mill until their object was accomplished having to stop almost every half hour to repair the ravages of shot and shell notwithstanding the constant fire of the rebel batteries the dilapidated appearance of the mill from its effects and the danger of the situation not yet a man was killed in or about it 
and not one wounded to my knowledge i remember one day of passing the mill in a great hurry and it was well that i was in a hurry for i had scarcely rode by it when i heard a terrific crash close at hand which made my horse leap from the ground with terror upon turning round i saw that a part of the smokestack had been carried away and the mill was on fire i rode up to the door and inquired if any one was killed or injured no not a man was hurt and the fire was soon subdued by the vigorous efforts of those sturdy soldiers who looked as jolly over the disaster as if it had really been a good joke the rebels were beginning to make some desperate assaults upon our outposts they were driving in the advance pickets on our left wing and making similar demonstrations along different parts of the line they were evidently concentrating a large force behind their fortifications and were determined to make a desperate resistance deserters came in bringing richmond papers crowded with appeals to the southern chivalry of which the following is a specimen Quote, the next few days may decide the fate of richmond it is either to remain the capital of the confederacy or to be turned over to the federal government as a yankee conquest the capital is either to be secured or lost it may be feared not temporarily and with it virginia then if there is blood to be shed let it be shed here no soil of the confederacy could drink it up more acceptably and none would hold it more gratefully wife family and friends are nothing leave them all for one glorious hour to be devoted to the republic life death and wounds are nothing if we only be saved from the fate of a captured and humiliated confederacy let the government act let the people act there is time yet if fate comes to its worst let the ruins of richmond be its most lasting monument general mcclellan's dispatch to the war department will best describe the state of affairs at this time in yorktown and vicinity he says quote, the whole line of the warwick which really heads within a mile of yorktown is strongly defended by detached redoubts and other fortifications armed with heavy and light guns the approaches except at yorktown are covered by the warwick over which there is but one or at most two passages both of which are covered by strong batteries all the prisoners state that general j e johnson arrived at yorktown yesterday with strong reinforcements it seems clear that i shall have the whole force of the enemy on my hands probably not less than one hundred thousand men and probably more under the circumstances which have been developed since we arrived here i feel fully impressed with the conviction that here is to be fought the great battle that is to decide the existing contest i shall of course commence the attack as soon as i can get up my siege train and shall do all in my power to carry the enemy's works but to do this with a reasonable degree of certainty requires in my judgment that i should if possible have at least the whole of the first corps to land upon the severn river and attack gloucester in the rear my present strength will not admit of a detachment sufficient for this purpose without materially impairing the efficiency of this column while these preparations were going forward on both sides professor lowe was making balloon reconnaissances and transmitting the result of his observations to general mcclellan by telegraph from his castle in the air 
which seemed suspended from the clouds, reminding one of the fabled gods of old looking down from their ethereal abodes upon the conflicts of the inhabitants of this mundane sphere. One of the officers one day playfully remarked, "'Professor, I am always sorry when I see you descend with your balloon.' "'Why are you sorry, Colonel? Would you wish to see me suspended between heaven and earth all the time?' "'Oh, no, not that. But when I see you coming down, I am afraid you will never get so near heaven again.' I was often sent out to secure supplies for the hospitals, butter, eggs, milk, chickens, etc., and in my rambles I used to meet with many interesting adventures. In some instances I met with narrow escapes with my life, which were not quite so interesting, and the timely appearance of my revolver often rescued me from the hands of the female rebels of the peninsula. Persons dwelling in regions which slavery has not debased can hardly imagine the malice and ferocity manifested by the rebel vixens of the slave states. Upon this point the testimony from all parts of the South is invariable. The Louisville Journal says, quote, Thousands have read with astonishment the account which historians give of the conduct of women in Paris during the reign of terror. The women are said to have been more fierce and bloodthirsty than even the fiercest and most bloodthirsty of the men. Many of our people have supposed that the accounts given of those things must surely be fictions or exaggerations. They have felt themselves unable to conceive that women's nature could become a thing so utterly revolting. But if they will look and listen in this region at the present time, they will find that they have no further reason for incredulity or skepticism. The bitter and ferocious spirits of thousands of rebel women in Kentucky, Tennessee, and other states, is scarcely, if at all, surpassed by the female monsters that shrieked and howled for victims in the French Revolution. I will here relate a little incident illustrative of the peculiarity of my adventures while on this catering business. One morning I started, all alone, for a five-mile ride to an isolated farmhouse about three miles back from the Hampton Road, and which report said was well supplied with all the articles of which I was in search. I cantered along briskly until I came to a gate which opened into a lane leading directly to the house. It was a large old-fashioned two-story house with immense chimneys built outside, Virginia-style. The farm appeared to be in good condition, fences all up, a rare thing on the peninsula, and cornfields flourishing as if there were no such thing as war in the land. I rode up to the house and dismounted, hitched my horse to a post at the door, and proceeded to ring the bell. A tall, stately lady made her appearance, and invited me in with much apparent courtesy. She was dressed in deep mourning, which was very becoming to her pale, sad face. She seemed to be about thirty years of age, very prepossessing in appearance, and evidently belonged to one of the FFVs. As soon as I was seated, she inquired, To what fortunate circumstance am I to attribute the pleasure of this unexpected call? I told her in a few words the nature of my business. The intelligence seemed to cast a deep shadow over her pale features, which all her efforts could not control. She seemed nervous and excited, and something in her appearance aroused my suspicion, notwithstanding her blandness of manner and ladylike deportment. She invited me into another room, while she prepared the articles which she proposed to let me have, 
but I declined, giving as an excuse that I preferred to sit where I could see whether my horse remained quiet. I watched all her movements narrowly, not daring to turn my eyes aside for a single moment. She walked round in her stately way for some time, without accomplishing much in the way of facilitating my departure, and she was evidently trying to detain me for some purpose or other. Could it be that she was meditating the best mode of attack, or was she expecting someone to come and trying to detain me until their arrival? Thoughts like these passed through my mind in quick succession. At last I rose up abruptly and asked if the things were ready. She answered me with an assumed smile of surprise and said, Oh, I did not know you were in a hurry. I was waiting for the boys to come and catch some chickens for you. And pray, madame, where are the boys? I asked. Oh, not far from here, was her reply. Well, I have decided not to wait. You will please not detain me longer, said I, as I moved toward the door. She began to pack some butter and eggs both together in a small basket which I had brought with me, while another stood beside her without anything in it. I looked at her. She was trembling violently and was as pale as death. In a moment more she handed me the basket, and I held out a greenback for her acceptance. Oh, it was no consequence about the pay. She did not wish anything for it, so I thanked her and went out. In a few moments she came to the door, but did not offer to assist me or to hold the basket or anything, but stood looking at me most maliciously, I thought. I placed the basket on the top of the post to which my horse had been hitched, took my seat in the saddle, and then rode up and took my basket. Turning to her, I bade her good morning, and thanking her again for her kindness, I turned to ride away. I had scarcely gone a rod when she discharged a pistol at me. By some intuitive movement I threw myself forward on my horse's neck, and the ball passed over my head. I turned my horse in a twinkling and grasped my revolver. She was in the act of firing the second time, but was so excited that the bullet went wide of its mark. I held my seven-shooter in my hand, considering where to aim. I did not wish to kill the wretch, but did intend to wound her. When she saw that two could play at this game, she dropped her pistol and threw up her hands imploringly. I took deliberate aim at one of her hands, and sent the ball through the palm of her left hand. She fell to the ground in an instant with a loud shriek. I dismounted and took the pistol which lay beside her, and placing it in my belt, proceeded to take care of her ladyship after the following manner. I unfastened the end of my halter-strap, and tied it painfully tight around her right wrist, and remounting my horse, I started and brought the lady to consciousness by dragging her by the wrist two or three rods along the ground. I stopped, and she rose to her feet, and with wild entreaties she begged me to release her. But instead of doing so, I presented a pistol, and told her if she uttered another word or scream, she was a dead woman. In that way I succeeded in keeping her from alarming anyone who might be within calling distance, and so made my way toward McClellan's headquarters. After we had gone that way about a mile and a half, I told her that she might ride if she wished to do so, for I saw she was becoming weak from loss of blood. She was glad to accept the offer, and I bound up her hand with my handkerchief, gave her my scarf to throw over her head, and assisted her to the saddle. I marched along beside her, holding tight to the bridle rein all the while. 
when we were about a mile from mcclellan's headquarters she fainted and i caught her as she was falling from the horse i laid her by the roadside while i went for some water which i brought in my hat and after bathing her face for some time she recovered for the first time since we started i entered into conversation with her and found that within the last three weeks she had lost her father husband and two brothers in the rebel army they had all belonged to a company of sharpshooters and were the first to fall she had been insane since the intelligence reached her she said i was the first yankee that she had seen since the death of her relatives the evil one seemed to urge her on to the step she had taken and if i would not deliver her up to the military powers she would go with me and take care of the wounded she even proposed to take the oath of allegiance and seemed deeply penitent if thy brother or sister sin against thee and repent forgive him are the words of the saviour i tried to follow their sacred teachings there and then and told her that i forgave her fully if she was only truly penitent her answer was sobs and tears soon after this conversation we started for camp she weak and humbled and i strong and rejoicing none ever knew from that day to this the secret of that secesh woman becoming a nurse instead of being taken to general mcclellan's headquarters she went direct to the hospital where dr p dressed her hand which was causing her extreme pain the good old surgeon never could solve the mystery connected with her hand for we both refused to answer any questions relating to the wound except she was shot by a yankee which placed the surgeon under obligations to take care of the patient until she recovered that is to say as long as it was convenient for him to do so the next day she returned to her house in an ambulance accompanied by a hospital steward and brought away everything which could be made use of in the hospitals and so took up her abode with us her name was alice m but we called her nellie j she soon proved the genuineness of her conversion to the federal faith by her zeal for the cause which she had so recently espoused as soon as she was well enough to act in the capacity of nurse she commenced in good earnest and became one of the most faithful and efficient nurses in the army of the potomac but that was the first and the only instance of a female rebel changing her sentiments or abating one iota in her cruelty or hatred toward the yankees and also the only real lady in personal appearance education and refinement that i ever met among the females of the peninsula End of chapter 6